Welcome again to Planet Product Owner. This is Scott. Uh, first, I want to thank everybody who's been listening. I've gotten a lot of feedback, a lot of messages, and I love it. I'm thrilled to have the opportunity to share with you as we journey together. Um, it's unbelievable to think that we've got listeners all over the world. Like, literally, I'm not making that up based on the things that I'm seeing here. And I think it's fantastic. I'm really in disbelief. But um, I would say this, that if you are still finding this time together valuable, please share um, send it to a friend. Um, really, this is more about sharing information than anything else in this project. So um, I, I do want to kind of roll in and tell you a little bit about the purpose of this adventure that we're doing here in this little project. Um, I've played many roles in several different business models relating to software development, um, software management, client experience, business process modeling. I've gone through the old days of waterfall, the primitive days of rapid application development, XP, Scrum, provided leadership through various forms of agile and lean development. It just really kind of goes on and on. But the one thing that's closest to my heart is the role of the product owner. And yeah, I, I really enjoy um, motivation, coaching, uh, the team facilitation. I really love all that stuff, but nothing gets me going more um, than really talking about the product owner role and how, it, how to actually apply things that may not be necessarily found in a book. Um, again, we talk a lot about the art and the science. I love the art of the product owner and of the scrum in general, and I love to share my experiences that I've found to be effective with others. Uh, so that's really the purpose here. That's what we're doing. Um, so let's get started with today's topic. Um, and again, this comes from some feedback. Again, <laughs> this last uh, episode that we had about prioritization, you know, get your priorities straight, product owner. Um, we had a uh, we had a lot of good feedback from that, or I had a, a lot of good feedback from that, and I want to share a little bit more about it. So before we get started, uh, I guess to kick things off, I want to get started today with a with a reading from the Scrum Guide. <laughs> so a reading from the Scrum Guide. Hope you're ready. The team model in Scrum is designed to optimize flexibility, creativity, and productivity. The product owner is responsible for maximizing the value of the product resulting from the work of the dev team. It's just the first part from the Scrum Guide about the product owner. So I want to work, I want, I want to work from that first statement really about the working definition of what the product owner is responsible for there. It reads that responsible for maximizing the value of the product resulting from the work of the dev team. So this means that your job is to not just simply meet a requirement, product owner, right? It's about value. It's about maximizing the value. And it's not just about maximizing value, really. It's about also defending from the not-so-valuable, right? You want to defend against that. So you remember when I told you a few episodes ago that sometimes value is determined by the requester, right? We've, we've heard that before. There are times where a requester is asking for something to be at the top of the list, but it may not really be the top priority of everything in your product backlog. It may be important, and it's usually the most important thing for that requester, but it might not really be the highest priority in terms of the other items that are in there. We know that everything is a priority. We know that everyone priorities or prioritizes rather in a way that theirs is the highest priority, right? We we get that already. So the question becomes, how can you maximize value with the product or the widget or the solution that is not as valuable as some other items? 
More importantly, if you're juggling competing priorities, how can you maximize each of those in their own way and maybe even do it in a parallel matter? Uh, some way, some, we're going to dive into some of these topics today, touch on them at least, and give you some ideas. So the first part of this opening statement for the product owner responsibility or the description of that is that the product owner is responsible for maximizing the value of the product resulting from the work of the development team. Now let's look at the second part. How this is done may vary widely across organizations, scrum teams, and individuals. So we're talking about there's a variance there on how to do it. It almost sounds like to me in that that you have to be flexible as a product owner. You have to be willing to adapt, assimilate within the organization based on how they perceive your role or their implementation of the Agile or the Lean uh, application. Or at least, you know, or at the very least, you're likely going to have to set things up a little bit differently from time to time, depending on the strengths and the opportunities of your team, the makeup and all of that. Uh, remember, we've talked about making some concessions earlier and how to leverage the alpha developer on your team. Let's be clear about that, though, making concessions and being flexible and all of that stuff and the way that you go about it. I just want to be clear. We don't want to lose sight of what the product owner role is and what it does. Right. We don't want to compromise it to the point where this role is just so blurry that we don't recognize it anymore. So remember, in this effort uh, at, at Planet Product Owner, I'm trying to share thinking patterns with you, ways to practically apply some tactical things right, that you can take with you every day and make for a better product owner and team experience in general. Uh, mainly because here's the thing, there's, there's not a one-size-fits-all approach to this thing. I think they got it right in there when they were when when they when they wrote it. The last statement in this was cleverly written, in my opinion. How does this uh, or how this is done may vary widely across organizations, scrum teams, and individuals. That individual part is really important because, as a product owner who is really motivated by coaching and the team getting the the light turned on, you know, and get, getting their lights turned on, that's really the way that I'm motivated to go about. Um, mentoring or coaching or leading the way. Um, others may have a different motivation in that. And so that individualism does come into play and we got to create all the time, right? There's just a, not a lot of room to say definitively that this is the way to do it all the time. It must be done this way because every organization has a different strategy, a different applied approach. Every team makeup is just a little bit different. Um, so I can't give you the one size fits all. Here it is. I don't think anybody's expecting anybody to do that, by the way. I think a lot of these resources point you in a direction so that you can be a little bit more creative in your application of being a product owner anyway. But what what I think we can do is we can provide each other with some thoughts and examples, things that have worked for us in the past, like I'm doing with you, several different organizations, because the rules are the same. It's the same premise, no matter where you go, who it's for, even what kind of technology you're working with, the premise and the rules are the same. I came across a tweet the other day that reminded me of this, and, and it was really a perfect analogy and example. The author wrote, and I'm going to summarize, that you can take two football teams who play the same game. They play by the same rules, but the way they play it is a little bit different, right? So some game plans and schemes are different depending on strengths, depending on team makeup, depending on personnel, depending on whatever that is. So with that said, there are some basic things, product owner and scrum master, if you're listening today, which I hope you are, 
there's some basic things that you have to hold yourself accountable for because really the organization is often looking for your leadership in this capacity. Keep in mind, you're the expert, right? That's why they hired you. That's why you got the role. And if you're not the expert, you're becoming that expert. Remember we talked about becoming and assimilating into the SME? They want you to become that. And by the way, you're the one that's held accountable. Of course, you got a shared responsibility with the rest of the team, and we get all of that. But the best outcome uh, of what you're doing really does ride on your shoulders. You're the one that's accountable, okay? So some of those things just don't change, right? They're organizationally agnostic. Like I would kind of equate it to basic blocking and tackling, if we use a football analogy, um, keeping a prioritized product backlog. The product backlog expresses the work for the team that matches up with the desire of the organization and the customer, remaining consistent with the coaching of the best practices based on the scrum guide, make decisions about what the priority is for the sprint goal, balancing technology and business by being the advocate and the relator between business and technology and vice versa, really, a lot of times. You know, those are some things in the premise of being a product owner and in that role that, that simply don't change. Um, but the rest of this stuff does change, and you got to be flexible to that. you got to be open to it. So the topic today is really just breaking down the main responsibility of the product owner as it's written. So I'll remind you again, and if you need this, go look it up in the Scrum Guide. The responsibility of the product owner is to maximize the value of the product from the work that the development team does. But how this is done may vary widely across organizations, scrum teams, and individuals. I'd like to give you a few things today that I hope you can take away and apply day-to-day um, -day, uh, as you're on your journey. So buckle up. Let's journey to Planet Product Owner. So you probably fall into one of two categories. You either have working KPIs to measure against or you don't. Really, that's it. I mean, those are your two categories. You've either got working KPIs that you're trying to measure against or you don't have them. I want to talk to the folks first who do not have working KPIs, mainly because I want to keep those of you who do have them around for a minute and make you wait for it, but because I want to dive in for a minute on what those could look like. And again, I want to explain this to you like you're three years old because that's what I do. So I got my sticker on. So put your sticker on your forehead. And if you missed that, by the way, go back to tell me like I'm a three-year-old and you'll understand what I mean. Silly, I know, but it works. So let's talk about what a key performance indicator or a KPI is first. Now, look, again, I'm going to give you the basics on this, okay? This is not a deep dive, and I hope I explain it. In a nutshell, a KPI is a type of metric that helps us understand how the organization or department or whatever it is is performing, Okay. Identifying these types of measurements or metrics is really important to any business. Well, really, for anything. I mean, even at home, you can identify KPIs. <laughs> um, now, I want to make sure you understand, though, that all KPIs are metrics, but not all metrics are KPIs. I hope you get that. But just identifying the KPI, and that's the metric, again, that is uh, tied to the performance, um, just identifying that isn't really enough, right? I mean, what good is it if we aren't using some strategy around that KPI that matters the most uh, so that we're moving the needle on the performance? It's kind of the same neighborhood as our why question um, around our stories. It's kind of, the why is kind of a second cousin to a KPI. 
Um, since these KPIs have been identified, that's essentially the why. Now, again, it does us no good really just to identify them. We have to figure out the what that may move the needle of this KPI. So how is it that we can impact it? Now, I want to encourage you, Mr. or Ms. KPI-less product owner, <laughs> if you don't have KPIs, you have got, you got hope. Um, I'm willing to bet you that in your organization, your organization has KPIs. Uh, it just may not. It just may be the case that you're not aware of it. So, if that is the case, then perhaps they need a little help communicating and making it visible, which is really part of the KPI uh, foundation itself. It should be visible. So, uh, you have an opportunity to help out here. Yay! You know, you're so lucky. You can maybe save the day and bring visibility to the KPI. So, I think the first thing that you got to do though is you got to go out and you got to find those KPIs. Now, I'm going to get to my point here in a minute. Just hang with me. It's really important to know about the KPI thing. You got to go out and find the KPIs and see which ones are relative to what you're doing because that's where your value is likely going to be determined. Now, I'm not saying that every story or every feature or every product or every widget, widget that you prioritize or produce will necessarily move the needle on that KPI. But I will say that most of the time it should in some way relate to it okay there's a reason for that it's because value is basically determined by performance some kind of performance right let me explain so it doesn't matter what kind of organization you're in if you're developing software you're doing it for a handful of reasons all right um, and i'm going to give you a few examples of those and this is definitely not a limited list but you're you're saving or making the company money that's an increase or a decrease right you are improving the client experience. That means you're increasing numbers, satisfaction, whatever. You are reducing uh, or decreasing the number of defects or features, if you want to call them that. And that's what we've always called. Anyway, uh, or enhancing uh, performance or whatever, okay? And so, again, it's not limited to these things, but you kind of get the point, right? Notice with each one of these things that we're talking about, we have these words like reduce, increase, decrease, improve. Those are action verbs that indicate some kind of direction, up or down, right? I call them something really original and simple. They're directional uh, directional action verbs. Yeah, I'm, I know. Anyway, you get it. So original, Scott. Um, again, I know this is simple stuff, and we probably know this, but for those of you who just need a reminder of why we do what we do, this message is for you for sure. Um, but for those of you who are using them, maybe we're just getting back, right, um, and catching catching our, our, our breath and getting reoriented, recentered. So when we talk about these increases or reductions of these important metrics that we have determined to be indicators of our performance at the company, at the organization, doesn't it make sense to us that we should kind of do our part to influence those outcomes for the better with what we're delivering, with our efforts, with what we're producing. We should be supporting the goals of the organization and be good stewards, obviously, of the resources, time, money, all that stuff. Now, I want you to keep in mind that these KPIs are floating around somewhere in the organization. So step one, you gotta find them. Step two, you gotta relate them. Then you wanna use them. Then you wanna make them visible by applying them to your features and your stories or your widgets or whatever. And then finally, you wanna measure them, okay? Measure your progress against it because what we're really doing in this world, we have hypothetical outcomes that you're attempting to produce. 
Yeah, I said that. I said hypothetical outcomes. It's important for you to understand that we should have a benefit statement or a hypothetical benefit outcome or driver or whatever the label of the day is for the work that we're doing. Again, that's the why. And that's the why the why is so important because the why drives the what, right? We've talked about that. Now, one does not simply state that in this hypothesis statement that we will, in fact, reduce, improve, increase, whatever directional action verb you put there, that we won't actually move the needle on this, meaning we may not actually reduce cost if we do this. We may not actually increase sales. We may not actually improve customer experience or satisfaction scores. But the idea is that we think we have an educated guess. We have we think that we have a hypothesis here that we're going to take a stab at this thing for this what that we've def, uh, identified. And uh, it could be a way to move the needle. We know it might not do it, but we're going to learn quick, right? Now, if the ask or whatever it is that you're being asked to do doesn't support that hypothetical outcome, then you're probably working on the wrong thing. If what you and your team creates, if it's some work, doesn't support that hypothetical outcome of what's described with that directional action verb and that thing that we're trying to move, then you're probably working on the wrong thing, right? So what does that mean for us if we are thinking of or being influenced that we have two or even three sometimes competing priorities? Well, it means that we have to rely on data. Yes, data. So now, for you folks who fall into the category of actually having visible KPIs for your organization, remember these KPIs are often put into examples or they're reflected somewhere in some strategic object objective or goal, right? So shouldn't we be applying that as a factor to our prioritization as well? So here's an idea for you. When you're planning, and this is really more at the roadmap level, okay, because you have to think this stuff through. We already talked about the need for some planning, okay? Think this stuff through and be prepared to speak to the KPI or even the metric, if it's just a metric for that matter, um, that this story or feature or whatever it is that it applies to. See, you got to see what the benefit hypothesis is for the work. And if you don't have that first to start with, then you really don't know where you're going and why you're doing it. That is the driver. Okay. So if you find you have a lot of work that's not aligned with or it doesn't support these KPIs, Again, we, we already know you're probably not working on the right things because remember, the strategic goals of the organization are likely created from these KPIs because they're related from the KPIs into those examples, all right? So I'm going to preach a little bit, so hang tight. Now, what I'm describing to you here is the data, right? Grab those KPIs, put it in your product backlog as a note or a header or whatever so it's in your face all the time. Look at that each time you're prioritizing a story or a sprint goal and make sure that it's bounced off of each other and that it just jives, right? That's the only way you're going to stay in line because there's there's so many other opportunities for us as product owners to get roped into things or concede to something or things get us sidetracked from meeting our goals and we really got to stay on track with this, right? You know, You know what we're doing when we're doing this, right? We're using data to make decisions. Yeah, the, the science, and that's why we have to be balanced as product owners. we got to acknowledge that there's a symbiotic relationship between the art and the science of the lean delivery model. D don't we want to measure this too? I mean, don't we want to perhaps put a message out to a pilot group 
just to that pilot group when they go to this widget or whatever and solicit feedback, you know, when we get it out there? Don't we want to ask them what they think? Don't we want to see the internal reports maybe and determine what the metrics say there? It's like, show me the money, man. You know, we got to be able to measure it. We got to be able to get that feedback in and measure it. So we may not know for sure that we're going to move this needle. Um, and remember, this needle is one that the company feels will shift our performance as an organization in the right way. So we might not know we're going to move the needle, but we're going to die trying, right? We're riding. So when we're trying to justify a priority with a business partner or a requester, I think now you have a little bit of a different perspective. You have something in your back pocket now that you can use to chat with that requester, to talk with, to present, and it's data. It's about the value. It's about whether or not you're in line with that KPI. Oftentimes you can find it. Believe me, Nobody wants to know about your feelings on this topic. Nobody cares about what your opinion is on that priority because remember, their priority is the highest on the list. And look, you don't want to be the product owner who has favorites within the organization either because that's going to get you in trouble. You don't want to do their work, not their work. You don't want to pick that game. So we got to separate the personal relationships that we're building with that trust with our partners. We have to uh, separate those personal relationships with the business side, right? And being a good steward of company resources, we have to maximize the value that is produced by the team. That means that we are working on the right things and we're building them right. Got that? This is all part of that. See, we have to take the human emotion factor out of our decision making. And a lot of times that stinks, right? Because we don't want to... Ruffling by, we want to stay in good graces. We want to try to win for everybody. I understand. And I'm going to help maybe with something here in a minute. Might help you with the win-win. I get it. Sometimes within your organization, you may not even have room to make all these decisions. But here's the, here's the good news. Within your organization, you can definitely help other people learn and understand what it takes to get the priority. Right? You just have to use data. We know everybody's priority is a top priority, but that may be just their impression. But nobody can argue that this is the highest priority, you know, when you have some data behind it. If you have a good solid assumption and a good solid business case laid out properly, it points to real data. You know, a lot of people can't argue with that, right? But I would also say this, that in a lot of cases, you, you're going to find that the requester is right. And that's great, by the way. That's a great partner to have. What a great partner to have if they're right in their assumption that their priority is the highest priority. And you got to give them credit where credit's due. I mean, don't just fight the power to fight the power because it's priority and it's not your priority, okay? Don't, don't do that. Don't be that product owner, all right? I mean, when somebody brings a business case and it's strong, they bring it to me and it's supported with data and directional action verbs that impact some kind of driver that we've identified as those that increase performance, I can get behind that, man. You know, I can get behind that for sure. And the one thing that we got to do as a product owner is we, you know, we have to acknowledge them for that. So now that we have an idea about where this data comes from and, and kind of at its, at its root, at its origin, let's see how we can use it to impact our prioritization. So stick around for the next segment. So we talked about the data behind the decisions. Actually getting this data to be part of your roadmap is critical for you. Um, 
you want to reach the company's goals and their goals should be your goals, right? So let's talk about that roadmap for just a minute. I usually take out, well, yeah, you, you, you probably guessed it already. I usually take out the handy dandy spreadsheet. Yeah, the handy dandy spreadsheet. What I'll do a lot of times is I'll build out a table that contains certain milestones for the team or sprint goals really is what I'm looking at there. And I'll organize them by sprint or iteration. Once I've done that on paper or on electronic media, whatever, I'll list the KPI or the metric off of that that actually sometimes, uh, you know, I'll just fill it in. So like I'm looking at that thing in my face, which of these KPIs or which of these metrics can I tie to this? For new product owners, I would recommend that you actually start listing out that KPI and tie it to that larger effort. It's not because you're always going to impact it directly, but it's because you want to keep your bearings straight. Okay, I'm not going to tell you that there is a one-to-one match to everything that you do, but I am going to say that what you're doing is you're going to reinforce driving towards the improvement or driving towards moving the needle for that KPI when you're talking about what features you're working on. You want to be able to talk to it. You want to be able to to use that in your back pocket, right? Again, not to say that every story, task, detail, whatever is actually going to be the one to directly impact it, but we're hoping that it's going to support it, okay? Sprint goals should uh, get you to the overall goal. We talked about that. If you've got a story that's not in the same path, or if it's something that's really going to detract or derail from getting you there, and we all know what that means, right? So you got to trim out that waste between start and finish because getting to the delivery and the feedback part, that's really the righteous path, folks, okay? A good start, of course, we've said, is a benefit statement or a value statement. So if you're so inclined, I mean, you need to make sure that these higher-level themes or epics or features or widgets or solutions or application, whatever, that those should align with the business value or the user value that you're trying to reach. So I'll give you an example. I, um, you know, I, and, and that can be something, again, pretty simple. I want to add this widget so that we can increase revenue. And usually they'll put, you know, by a certain percentage, by a certain date, right? That's a good example of that, of that simple value statement, all right? If any, of your subse- uh, if any of your subsequent stories or tasks don't support that, you probably need to consider why you're writing it why you're asking the team to produce it in the first place. Is it a detractor? Is it a distractor? Is it an outlier? What? Um, you know, it's always, I want to do this thing so that we can, directional action verb, <laughs> increase, reduce, improve, is all part of the value statement in that work. The benefit of doing this work in each widget or feature or application at its core really should con- contain some kind of benefit statement that you can trace back to it. I mean, it it works for user stories, right? I mean, remember, we talked about the why being the driver for your user story. Well, it should be the same when you go up a level from that, right? So when you go up a level into the higher level theme or uh, roadmap item or, um, you know, sprint goal or whatever, it should still support that. And that why has always got to be there, okay? So speaking of going up a level, I want to go down a level to come back up a level, whatever i hope you i don't know if you followed that or not but it's okay i wanted to look back at something really fundamental that most scrum teams do most scrum teams abuse a lot of scrum teams uh spend way too much time doing but i want to just talk briefly about estimation you know we do relative estimation on the on the team right um 
I, I think, okay, so hang with me here. Um, relative estimation. The idea is that we have some kind of scale, right, that represents the level of effort. So we believe that'll get us to a done state, right? So the one thing that I want you to take from this relative estimation comment or, or premise, I guess, is that you can actually apply the same concept really to your prioritization, right? So uh, as product owners, we kind of need to apply this relative prioritization, right, to your roadmap. Um, but but if you apply that same thing to your roadmap, then uh, that's going to in turn impact the prioritization of the work. Think of it like this. Um, you know, remember we said that oftentimes value is determined by the requester. Sometimes, sometimes guys, that's just not going to cut it. I mean, just because the requester says, then that doesn't mean, right? Now, again, sometimes it is. But we won't know that, right? Um, we know everybody's got their own ideas about priorities. We've covered that. And if you're a new product owner, look, just know that everybody's priority is the highest priority, okay? Just know that. So you got to be prepared to be able to handle that. You got to be prepared um, to give justification to your prioritization because it's your job to prioritize it. All right. So we can apply the same concept to the roadmap and even to prioritization that we use for relative estimation. So if a certain story or a task enables you to reach a sprint goal in the order that you've deemed appropriate or the sequence of events or whatever based on the data, then it probably gets the nod, right? But let's be sure to check against the KPIs and these metrics and the value in the roadmap, right? So in the product backlog, um, and I've had this happen, you may actually have two priorities that are not even so much related to each other, but maybe they're in the same system, okay? They may not have a relationship at all, and that's all right. I'm going to share with you what works for me when I run into that. Um, they're... they're they're kind of a, a, of equal value. I mean, they're pretty relative, right? Uh, but again, maybe not even related. So when I get into that situation, this is what I do. This is what works for me. I've structured and prioritized the work in a way that I could get a, I could create a primary and a secondary goal um, for my sprint goal. Now I'm not calling out the fact that I have two goals in the sprint. Don't get me wrong. Don't misunderstand that. I'm just saying that my primary sprint goal is the sprint goal. That doesn't mean that I don't that I can't have other kinds of work in there. All right. Um, but here's the here's the trick to it though. Um, I don't do this all the time. I usually only do it when I have more than one type of work in the application going, and when it's the most when it's the least intrusive to the goal that we have to that sprint goal. But it's just really a way for me to compromise sometimes because Scotty loves the win-win, all right? What I do sometimes is I provide this outlier story because it is. It's an outlier story or an outlying theme to what we're doing. It's contrary to our sprint goal, but it still adds value, okay? But I'm okay with injecting that in there under certain circumstances, which I'll cover in a second, so that we can start learning quick, uh, learning quickly, Right? It may conflict with the overall sprint goal. And, okay, so it conflicts with, with that sprint goal. Now, here are the conditions, right? I won't introduce some outlier like this until we're just about done, like cleaning up the previous effort or deliverable, you know, towards the end of the MVP or MMP or the A story or the B story or the story map or the first level or whatever your buzzword is. Everybody's got their own 
definition buzzword for that stuff but um but typically there's some kind of winding down that we're all experiencing in some feature or widget or solution and that winding down is where we're either waiting on some things or there's additional feedback coming in or we're just cleaning it up from the last demo or whatever so we really do have room to start taking parts of that next feature okay and it may conflict with that sprint goal but that's okay remember because we want to learn quickly about it and we have conditions met so that we're just winding down this other thing nothing wrong with getting a couple of stories out there that can be demoed to show the other business partner or the other stakeholder that you're giving them some love right there's nothing wrong with that it also you know several byproducts of that it enhances our learning speeds up our learning but it also tends to keep the team fresh right they know this new thing's coming so i'll typically introduce it to them and co-mingle work um, one of the biggest benefits though is that it sends a signal to my team that the hits keep coming you know we got we it's still coming guys it's all night all day because you've seen those slow sprints where the team feels like they're running low on work they start feeling like oh well you know i don't know uh, i can't you know what else is next is there anything and they start feeling like that well that's on you all right you can find valuable work somewhere all right don't stop believing you can find valuable work now again conditions of all this based on the data you get from the kpis if this is something that does warrant the attention or the priority there's nothing wrong with throwing it in there in small pieces even if it conflicts from your sprint goal just make sure you're in a position to finish the first one right get that wrapped up and done before you start just overloading the team with these outlying sprint goals right another benefit that i found from this and is 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 one that's pretty important too that i have some new talking points now and maybe even starting that weekly session that i have with my stakeholder with my sponsor with my bp because uh because if i haven't started that yet this gives me a good start so i can show them you know this is what we did this is what we're thinking next and you know this is what you know whatever so we talked about this a little earlier, but it's worth it to cover it again. A critical piece of using this and doing this is, and you got to note this, man. It, it's it. This is a data-driven approach, which means you got to be able to measure it, and you got to measure it in the beginning, right? I mean, you got to know how to measure it. I'm not saying you got to measure it in the building, in the beginning, because you may not even understand the value to begin with. All right, but remember. Um, measuring uh, is important because you basically want to prove or disprove your hypothesis that's really where you're where you're headed okay so remember we have said that we exist to deliver working software right how do we know that it's truly working if we're not going back to measure it and we talked about different ways of getting feedback in the previous segment but how do we know that this is truly working if we're not going back to measure it so please keep that in mind when writing these things and look if you're unable to measure your hypothesis with some kind of data that hopefully ties back to the metrics you were using in the first place, perhaps the strategy on that just needs to be tweaked a little bit. You got to go back and make sure that it's testable, right? Just like a story, it's testable. Um, so we need to be in, we need to have this in a position to be testable, so that we can gain that measurement and see if we are actually in fact moving the needle. Okay. So reporting, usually for product owners, and I'm guilty as charged, reporting is likely the last thing that we think of. And it may be the last thing that we actually put in place, 
But here's the deal, and I've learned this, and I was I was guilty of making reporting last. I was. I did that for a long time, and I'm not talking about like uh, these these overly cumbersome reports. I'm not talking about that kind of thing. What I'm talking about is is creating that uh, measurement uh, strategy first, right? Um, you're not really done unless you have the reporting in place so that you can do that. And that can be reporting through internal or external sources. Remember, I told you earlier about solicited feedback that we could get. That's one way to prove your hypothesis. There's some other ways to get it too. And you may not know about them, so you might have to be a little creative, right? And I'm sure you can figure it out because, look, you didn't even know, some of you didn't even know KPIs existed until you went out and sought them, right? So they got to be able to have those reports somewhere, right? Because that's how they're measuring the KPIs in the first place. So I hope that was helpful for you. Let's, uh, let's try to land this thing. Uh, pick your KPI metric. That's first. Create the what based on the why at a high level. Qualify the priority with things that will move the needle using these directional action verbs we talked about. Uh, because those, and, and we want to impact for performance with that. Finally, determine how you're going to measure it first. If you can't measure it, you can't figure that out yet, then I would really strongly advise you to try to figure that out. How will you prove or disprove this hypothesis? And really, that's the key, guys. It's about inspect and adapt, right? Once you build it, you measure it. Once you measure it, see if you can improve it, and then measure it again, you know, after you, after you build it again. Um, I just want to remind you again, I'm not saying you're going to prioritize every single feature or widget or work item the right first time, right? You, I, you know, maybe that's not going to happen. But I would, I, I would also recognize that you may not even be in that position to fully make that decision either, right? But if you're working with your partners and your stakeholders, and hopefully in that 30-minute checkpoint each week, uh, work session, and that does not mean the sprint review. Please don't wait until the sprint review to get this in front of your, your sponsors or your stakeholders. You're probably going to be a lot closer to it than you think if you're having these sessions, okay? It all starts with taking that human emotion and that opinion out of the equation that they don't care about your opinion anyway, <laughs> right? If you're using data to make and support those decisions rather than just relying on your gut feeling all the time, you're building relationships with trust, you're leading the way in Agile and Lean, in that mindset, you're probably going to be really close to hitting the mark on what the next best thing is. Now, I'm not saying your gut feeling is wrong. I'm just saying I'd rather have data behind it. A lot of times your gut feeling is right, but it sure makes your case a whole lot easier to sell when you have some data behind it. So, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Thanks again for joining me. Be sure and subscribe. And if you enjoyed this or you found value in this or any of the other episodes, please share it with a friend uh, who may find value in it as well. Remember, it's all about sharing here, sharing the love. So until next time, have a safe, happy, and lean journey, my friends. Mm-hmm.